Welcome back to the channel, everyone. Just wanted to talk for two minutes about my cryptocurrency webinar coming up this Monday that I'm really excited about. Now you've come to listen to the podcast with Jacqueline Dunn, so I won't take up too much of your time listening to this slapper. But yeah, the reason I'm so passionate about cryptocurrency is because it's completely decentralized and it helps bring us away from the manipulative central banking system that we have at the moment. It's helping give people more financial freedom. And it's part of this whole revolution revolution in the tech space to give people more sovereignty which i'm a big believer in um some of the main reasons people have resistance to cryptocurrency well probably the number one is that people think that they're too late to the party uh, which isn't true at all and um, less than two percent of people worldwide own cryptocurrency less than one percent of corporations own crypto cryptocurrency uh, so you can imagine if only 5 or even 10% of these people invest in cryptocurrency, you can see how much more valuable your investments are going to be in one, two, maybe even five years down the line. So we're still very, very early. And like I say, it's an exciting time to be in this space. So I've left a link down below for that. And now we'll crack on with the podcast. Uh, I spoke with Jacqueline earlier. She was amazing as always. Yeah, enjoy the podcast and let us know what you think love to hear from you in the comments below so welcome back everyone to the enlighten with alex podcast for myself alex if you haven't already hit subscribe we've got plenty of incredible guests coming up including today we've got jacqueline dunn if you want to know all about her backstory go back and watch the podcast we did a few months ago back in november uh, she's a best-selling author holistic coach and truther so today I thought it'd be good to get her back on because a lot's happened in the last three months and we're about a year on from the start of the lockdowns. So it'd be good to kind of recap where we're at. So yeah, welcome Jacqueline. Hello, thank you for having me back on. No worries. Have you been lately? Yes, it's, you say a lot's changed, but really on the surface, not much has changed at all. <laughs> I'd love to be back on going, yeah, amazing. We've brought this whole shit show to an end. <laughs> but well, yeah, it's not really happening. <laughs> well, yeah, the changes I'm talking about are more negative, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, that is the case. Yeah. Even if on the surface, everything looks the same. Um, when you look a little bit deeper, there is uh, a lot of things that are going on um, that... <laughs> don't look so hopeful yeah i'd agree well, yeah the first thing i want to talk about i want to use the word injection just because apparently it messes with the algorithms the v word um so yeah obviously since our last chat i think when we spoke last it was just about to be start to be rolled out now we're seeing it being rolled out everywhere millions of people have had it um i know people personally have been injured by it um i've got a friend you know, somebody worked in a care home and they all had it and one person died overnight and the, there was like five more in bed. Uh, I'm in a Facebook group and people are posting every day about deaths and injuries. So obviously you're involved in that side of things more than me. So what kind of things have you seen and heard? Um, unfortunately, none of it surprises me. Um, just because, you know, this is something that I've been talking about, shouting about, lecturing about, trying not to preach, trying just to give people information for the last decade. Um, and it's only really recently that people have actually wanted to listen to any of it. And that's quite a small percentage of people still considering how impactful it could be to your life. Um, 
what I'm seeing now is that everything that's happening in regards to the adverse reactions um, is as expected. Um, it's exactly as, 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 as anybody that has been studying injections for a very long time would know um, that there is going to be an element of adverse reactions. What is really frustrating is the way that these adverse reactions are being reported. Um, there's a lot of um, cover-ups and coincidences when it comes to this. Um, as there always has been with this particular topic, um, you ask anybody with a, a, a dead or damaged child post-injection, and they will tell you that they then experienced a deathly silence from the medical community. In some instances, missing medical records, cover-ups, and um, the medical profession just don't want to admit that there is any danger there at all with this. Um, one of the things that I have um, really tried to push home is, um, you know, they use the term anti all the time. And I am trying to say that we're not anti, we're just X. We did it. We did it. It went hor horribly wrong for us. And, and now we want to exercise caution. And, and that should surely be sensible that we just want some questions answered. Where else in the world, in, in history, at any point in time, can you think that somebody that exercises caution is called a lunatic? um is called reckless you know it's called a granny killer no they're they're being cautious they've had they've had their fingers burnt they're starting to see what's happening to other people and they just want a little bit more of an answer but we don't get them it's just the biggest cover-up and i mean this this is so obvious to see when you look at the fact that if somebody um dies within um 28 days of a test um, they are put down as a COVID death. If somebody dies within 28 days of a vaccine, they're put down as a COVID death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which um, is, it shouldn't be the way, you know. Imagine if we had proper statistics where anybody that died in, in any age group with any particular inoculation who died within 28 days of that we would really see some astounding difference in the stats. We would really know just how much harm these can cause, but we don't get that. We, we, it's just, again, coincidences and cover-ups. It's, it's, it's a great title for a book. Maybe there's one coming. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Book idea for the day. And yeah, I agree about the name calling. It's kind of like, it's just very like childish. It's like we could say, oh, you're a, a vaccine death denier and things like that, but there's no point causing yeah, that it's crazy i touched on this when um i did that so that's one thing that's that's happened since um we spoke last um the documentary came out the trail of truth i don't think that was out the last time we spoke i think i'd filmed it but it hadn't been um hadn't been released and we released that um just before christmas um and that was great because um that was um a guy called luke alexander who came to a lot of the protests saw me speak at trafalgar square approached me about making a uh, documentary Entry and um, asked other people to be involved, Professor Dolores Carhill, Dr. Mohammed Adil, some of the whistleblowers, Louise Hampton um, and Carly um, Mansfield. And um, the, it was great because it gave us the opportunity to put a lot of information out there in one hit um, without being preachy, without being condescending, without saying you should know this, um, just, you know, giving people a little 
a bit of a seed planted and then backing it up what the director Luke done really really well is he backed it up with everything that um, I was saying was then backed up and he was showing exactly where I was getting that information from the government documents whether it was a government document whether it was a um, an, an insert from that particular injection that I'm talking about any of those things they were backed up so it was a really really well researched and directed documentary thank thank you to Luke for that um, and one of the things that I touched on in that is the fact that we do get anybody that asks questions around this subject we do get called such horrific names and we're put into this kind of loony bin um criteria um conspiracy theorists and lunatics even our wonderful prime minister uh, bojo has has somebody's asked him in a hospital who has been interviewed and what do you think about anti-vaxxers oh they're all lunatics they're all loonies um which is so condescending because these people are a lot of them a whole massive percentage of them i would even go to say about 85 90 percent of people that have vaccine hesitancy or have categorically decided they're not going anywhere near them anymore is because they have had a really bad and scary experience like myself with my daughter so how can you say to somebody you know i really don't want to do this because my child died or oh, what a lunatic you are how disrespectful how disrespectful do you want to be? You're meant to be. Sorry. It's psychopathic, really, isn't it? It is narcissistic, psychopathic, gaslighting, because what why he's using that language is he wants to normalize it. He wants us to think that it's okay to call these people um these names, because then other people do it as well. You know, if the Prime Minister's saying they're loonies, obviously they're loonies. That's where it comes from. But if we just take a step back and consider what experiences these people have been through, because that, that's what that's why they have this opinion then we need you, you would then suddenly think you can't call somebody who's got a dead or damaged child a lunatic it just wouldn't it's like saying to somebody um whose child has got a nut allergy and goes into anaphylactic shock oh don't be so ridiculous just give them nuts you lunatic yeah could kill them it could kill them well you wouldn't say that it's disrespectful but it's okay to say it to everybody else that's going against the main narrative and you know why it's okay to say it because going against the main narrative causes great profit loss for them uh, as we're seeing now this is why we've got this psychological warfare going on now because they are absolutely gutted that the uptake of vaccines has not been as much as they wanted them to be um that at one point people were queuing around the block to get into these centers and now i'm hearing that people that are in much lower age groups so 30s and 40s are getting phone calls saying we've had a no-show we've had a lot of no-shows there's spaces in the afternoon do you want to come in and get your jab mm -hmm. so um that that says to me that this isn't going according to plan um, and maybe i'm in a little bubble with my followers on social media and they're all very like-minded so um most of them are telling me and and the the kind of information i get through the threads is that they're not having it they, they wouldn't have it unless it was tested for a lot lot longer or there was some kind of guarantee that they had protection over some things that they're really worried about so things like fertility things like pregnancy things like um 
will they um are, are they more likely to have a cancer because it's not been tested for carcinogenic properties and section 13.1 on any insert will tell you none of them have mm. so they, this is this is um an attack on people who are just wanting more information now when has that ever been reckless or or, or could class somebody as a lunatic yeah i completely agree and also people i've seen a lot of this kind of looking at the very short term so in that facebook group i was telling you about people share their experiences <laughs> some, some i've of, had one yesterday i'm fine <laughs> yeah exactly yeah someone like yeah i had it right yesterday absolutely fine whatever um obviously you're well researched on mrna and whatever and the problems it could be like two three years down the line couldn't it when I look at mRNA, um, the first thing that screams to me is autoimmune conditions. That is the first thing. Um, and I've spoken to a lot of medical professionals and they've said exactly the same. Um, so I'm not going down the school of thought of, you know, this is going to mutate our DNA. And um, I do think that that kind of gets into a conspiracy theory category. And we need to be really, really cautious with the information that we're putting out there, because what's going to happen is you, you put one tiny little bit of information that you might believe but there is no absolute rock solid evidence to that as yet and then the whole thing is it, it, you're just put into a into that crazy loony box so um, I'm, re I'm trying to be really cautious and I get messages all the time why don't you post more about 5g why don't you post more about common law um I stick to what I know I post about what I know and I post about what I believe that is researched enough to share with other people and that's the way that we're going to get information out there to plant seeds to get people thinking and to not be put into this crazy loony bin conspiracy theory um i don't know category so um in terms of the mrna i think it's going to create a lot of autoimmune conditions now autoimmune conditions take a long time to manifest in the body it's when the immune system has become confused if you want to look at it from an allopathic point of view i don't believe that as a holistic health coach i don't think that the immune system suddenly just decides to attack you that's not how the immune system works the immune system is doing its utmost to keep a level of homeostasis it's just that when you start to introduce um, a lot of things directly into the bloodstream, it's going to confuse the immune system and it's going to get heightened and it's going to almost go off on a tangent and start attacking everything. And that's kind of how an autoimmune condition, keeping it as simple as possible, that's how an autoimmune condition can manifest. That takes time. So when we're looking on these pages and we're seeing, oh, I had my vaccination yesterday and I'm absolutely fine, just got a sore arm. Yeah, I'm really, really happy for you, but come back in five, 10, maybe even 15 years. You know, I see people in my clinic, predominantly women, they're struggling to fall pregnant. Um, they have lots and lots of conditions in terms of their, um, some of them are even going into early menopause in their 30s they have lots of conditions in regards to their menstrual cycle be it missing heavy um, they've got things like polyps and cysts and they're getting lots of conditions in the bowel as well and, and there are studies on this that uh, that links this particular injection to um, Crohn's and colitis and diverticulitis and they're all the ones that have had the HPV so um, that you know these and these are things that happened years and years later and when you read all of the books that I have read about um, the damages and the injury that can happen 
they do tend to be things that don't happen instantaneously. And that is why that they're very rarely linked. It's really hard to link something when it's not instantly afterwards. So somebody that does have an anaphylactic nut allergy, they know full well it's the nuts because they've eaten it and instantly there is an allergic response. So an antibody is produced immediately in the body. But when there is um, a more of a slower reaction happening, you can't link it. And when I speak to people all the time, just diet wise, and they're like, I know there's something that upsets my stomach, but I just can't put my finger on it. And I try and keep a food diary, but there's no consistency. So that's how hard it is. Even when someone is looking for something, looking for a reaction to happen, that's how hard it is to make that connection and make that link. So when I've got people coming into me and saying that they um, are having issues with fertility, issues with periods, they, of course they've not linked it to HPV. Of course they haven't. You know, this is years later. What's it got to do with that? But when you break it down to them and show them all the different things that can happen and have happened with that particular one, I mean, that one is the um, most heavily reported for adverse events and that's because it has double the amount of aluminium of any vaccination so um, we get quite a lot of adverse events on that one if anybody is ever in doubt about the level of um, studies and testing that happens um, for one of these medical interventions to be brought to market then it's definitely worth having a look at how the Gardasil trials with Merck went. Um, there's a brilliant book um, called, uh, so there's a, do a short documentary called Sacrificial Virgins about HPV. And there's also um, a brilliant book by Christina England um, called Shattered Dreams. And um, she's got documented everything about the trials. Um, the um, foreword for that book was written by Brandy Vaughan. Uh, God rest her soul, who was the um, founder of Learn the Risk. And she was a salesperson for Merck. So and she was a salesperson for Merck quite high up when they were testing the Gardasil HPV jab. So she has a lot of information, um, which may explain why she's not with us anymore. But there you go. <laughs> I don't even think that is conspiracy. Is that the American um, Yes, she was. Yeah, she um, and just 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 after Christmas, I believe, um, she she passed away. Because didn't they um, say it was a suicide? Even though she put out a message like a couple of weeks before saying, "I'm not suicidal." There's been no all. All that we know is her son found her dead, um, and her son was um, about 11, 12 years old. Um, we don't know any other information about the death at all. Um, whether they're going to class it as suicide, even though she wrote many, many posts saying I'd never leave my son, I'd never take my life. And if that ever happens, then please know it wasn't me. Um, she preempted this. She was an absolute threat because anybody that has that amount of information and is then starting to bring it to the public domain is a massive threat. You know, we've only got to look at Dr. Mike Eden and why they've suddenly deplatformed him because he was ex-Visor. So, you know, this is a, a very similar thing. And Brandy Vaughan was ex-Merck and she wrote the foreword for Shattered Dreams. They document really well in Shattered Dreams about how the um, tests and the trials went for this particular vaccination. And it gives you such a good insight into how corrupt they are as an industry. So there were people on that trial, girls, it was predominantly for girls, um, girls on that trial who were experiencing horrific reactions and they went and had it documented um, 
and they took them off the trial. So rather than say, oh, look at all of this and these people that were really reacting badly, we need to go back to the drawing board with this one. They just took them on the trial, um, completely destroyed their notes, completely destroyed their files and took them off the trial so that the data that they ended up with looked really good. So <laughs> that's where that's how they can be so manipulative. And that's why um, when somebody says to me, oh, but, you know, this is a really, really well-researched one. And the studies, look, look at the studies. I've seen them. They're amazing. You don't know how manipulative that they, they've been, how, how manipulated they've been. Because when you look historically at how these trials go and people that have been willing to and have risked their life to speak out about it, you will get an indication of exactly how corrupt they can be just so they can bring something to market. Yeah, well, they fund the studies themselves aren't they so obviously these people have been paid by these people to display things in a certain way yeah i mean it's difficult people say follow the money trail um and yeah i, I absolutely agree with that follow the money trail and look who's funding the study in the first place so the one study that i've shown that has actually isolated the virus has been funded by the cdc so um, and it was in a genome sequence on a computer so yeah not not great but that's for both sides so when i share people with people the studies that i've looked at that link um, autism and vac uh, vaccinations for example a lot of those studies have been linked to um, have been paid for by um, well-known anti-vax groups like you know uh, learn the risk and um, the child children's defense so robert kennedy jr there's some they have funded them but that's because nobody else will fund them so follow the money can work both sides because you can show people those studies and go oh yeah well look who it's funded by of course they're going to find that mm -hmm. so it's it's so difficult because both sides are playing the same game yeah. both sides are funding research for a particular outcome um, and you can't say that only one side manipulates because who knows, it could happen with everybody. Uh, but that's why I think it's really powerful that we can't discredit all of these testimonial stories that are coming out in regards to how people are reacting post post jab we can't and we, just by saying that oh it's a coincidence that you know that person died. Even on the panorama last night, I don't know if you watched it, but the, one of the very opening stories was about a man who had been in hospital. Um, it sounds like he contracted COVID in hospital. And then the, the way that the BBC explained it was um, he did have his first vaccination, but sadly he was too poorly with COVID and died. So... <laughs> I mean, I, I really don't want to laugh but, because it's such a sad thing. But at the same time, are they for real? <laughs> Some pretty poor propaganda there. <laughs> what? I mean, Marianne Spring, who is the BBC disinformation journalist who run this programme. Um, I mean, the fact that they've even got a disinformation journalist. Um, I mean, she done a really poor job, a really poor job, because, I mean, I could have discredited anti-vaxxers better than she discredited them. <laughs> I could have helped her with that one. It just was crazy. It was all about how um, anti-vaxxers use fear and propaganda to um, turn people away from vaccines, whilst using fear and propaganda to turn people to them. What, what are they trying to say that the agenda is for <laughs> Oh, sorry, that's my dog. Hang on, let me just let her out. 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, what are they trying to say our gender is? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is one of the things that we were speaking about on the Zoom I did with um, Dr. Thomas Cowan, Dr. Andrew Kaufman and David Curtin, Fiona Rose, Diamond. Um, we were saying that, you know, the people that are speaking out are um, people that have got everything to lose and nothing to gain. So what's what are they going to get by trying to turn people against a medical intervention if it's if it's something that's beneficial for them on the other side of the coin you have a lot of people that are speaking for this medical intervention that are paid to speak for it so and they are when with the, the very um, doctor they used on the panorama interview to discredit a lot of the um, holistic doctors that were speaking was a doctor from the London School of Tropical Medicine who is funded by Imperial College and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So that just goes to show that, you know, these people have to speak about a narrative and agenda. It might not be what they think or they believe. They might believe that. But that if you follow where it comes from, they are they have to say what they're saying because that's what they have been. It's been drummed into them to say that, and they've got everything to lose if they don't say that. Whereas <laughs> we're on the other side and we're saying what we're saying, and our only agenda is because we want to warn people and make sure that they don't have the experience that a lot of us have had. Um, that's the only agenda. We don't have anything to gain by this. In fact, a lot of people who have spoken out have been absolutely destroyed by it, whether they've had their lives taken like Brandy Vaughan, whether they've been discredited like the likes of Judy McAfix, Andrew Wakefield, Dr. Mike Eden, whether they've been completely deplatformed or they all straight away get deplatformed. They always get misquoted. So, you know, Andrew Wakefield did not link vaccines to autism. He didn't. If you actually look at his study, that was not the link at all. It was the two things were mentioned, but the direct link that they made in the press was insane um, and and strange now I'm seeing with um, Dr Vernon Coleman he's being discredited a lot because they're saying that oh this is the guy that said that AIDS was a hoax that's not actually what he said when you go and have a look at what he said he was talking about the fact that it's not actually a huge risk for heterosexual people so go back and have a look don't just believe those headlines because you, we're, we're we live in such a fast-paced society that when we're getting all this information thrown at us, people don't often then go and look for things for themselves, or they don't even read a full article. They'll just read the headline and be like, oh, well, that explains it. No, it doesn't. Everything's hidden. Everything's buried. And if you really want to know the truth, the truth is learned, never told. You need to go and look for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I love what you were saying earlier about being balanced about things, because I think it is easy to fall into the trap of, you know, some really far out theories and whatever and without evidence there's no point wasting your energy and that kind of stuff is there but we have seen a lot of these theories coming to fruition over the last year and one that i'm hearing being talked about a lot now it seems to be um the seeds being planted if you like is the whole passport thing like you can't travel without having a vaccine said even maybe going to the pub or whatever or 
going to events and sports events supermarkets is the newest one you won't be able to go to a supermarket without um your badge of honor what so you can't eat (laughs) (laughs) well i don't use supermarkets anyway so um very rarely i might use them for something just to go in and grab you know might spend a tenner in there but um my advice to everybody would be find alternatives because a lot of these companies if they are willing to support this kind of discrimination because there's there's no other way to describe it it's discriminative there are people who are going to be medically exempt there are people who are going to be religiously exempt and there are people who are just going to be absolutely terrified like myself because of the experience that I've been through and they're not doing anything to alleviate the fears of these people all they're doing is saying well we'll make your life really difficult if you don't do it that's abusive that's really abusive. And if you are an organization like Tesco's or Sainsbury's or Asda, and you are willing to support that abuse, then I'm not going to support you anymore. I won't. It's, we're done. Our relationship's over. I'm sorry, but that's it. We're done. Um, just like we're defunding the BBC and we're defunding Amazon, we need to find alternative ways. And the only way that we're going to get rid of this really coercive, controlling world is by building a new one. So um, at the moment, I use companies like Field and Flower to get my um, meat, um, it's organic meat delivered. Um, and then I'll use, um, I, there's a brilliant company that I've just found because I was struggling. The only thing I was going to places like Tesco's for were things that was not food based um, because I was having my meat and veg and everything else delivered. We've just started our own little veg patch as well. I know not everyone can do that, but um, we're going to give it a go, see how that how that rolls. It's our homeschool project. I, I started last year. It's pretty fun. Oh, did you? Has anything actually come through? Yeah, yeah. I grew quite a bit of stuff. Oh, it? impressed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's great fun. Oh, I'm sure my youngest, um, who is completely homeschooled now anyway, um, we'd started to go to a local allotment to a brilliant local initiative called Get Digging. And the lady there was showing us how we can get the the best soil and what's good to plant when. And she was learning so much. So we're just going to carry over into our garden now. So hopefully in time, we'll have our own little set of produce that we can just go and get. Yeah, it's my though, isn't it? Sorry. Sorry, I'm just saying it's mad that the vast majority of schools don't teach. Don't teach. I know, and it's, it's so necessary. All of these life skills are so necessary. Um, yeah, she, since we've been homeschooling, she started her own little online business on Instagram. Um, she's making homemade beauty products and selling them, and she's got her. Um, her list of expenses and her list of sales and she's working out how many she has to sell to get a profit um and it's it's amazing it's just it's life skills and we're, we're going to have a crack at this vegetable patch anyway i digress i'm all for home home education not homeschooling um so I was really struggling with getting things like washing up liquid and all things like that, because it's only really supermarkets that you get them from. But I've just found a really great um, place on um, uh, online called Bother, B-O-T-H-E-R. And they are all that kind of stuff that you can have delivered within 24 hours. Um, but they've got some really good brands as well, really ethical brands. There's a lot of, um, you know, the eco type brands. Um, so, yeah, you're going to pay a tiny little bit more, but it's the convenience and you're not going to have the petrol of going to the stores. And and also 
the enormous sense of well-being of not supporting people that are willing to back you into a corner so that you have to be injected with all manner of toxins just so you can go and get your weekly shopping. That's outrageous. We can't support these people. We have to find other ways. One of the things that I spoke about um, probably last summer on my own Facebook page is I um, encourage people to start up their own little community groups on Telegram. And my own local one has got about 45 people in now, I think. Um, and that is where I learned about the Get Digging initiative. And um, there's loads of local people uh, that are just literally on my doorstep that are all quite awake. We all meet for walks. We go into the forest and we take the dogs, take the kids. And it's so important because what we're learning is who's local, who knows what, you know, who, who knows first aid, who grows their own veg, who's got chickens, so we've always got eggs, you know, all of that kind of stuff is so important, so and there's a lot of people talking about off-grid living at the moment, and yes, of course, that would be the ultimate dream, but to get somebody to go from a two, three, four-bedroom house um, where they're going their weekly shopping in Tesco's every single week to then go to straight to growing your own veg and off-grid living. It's too much of a jump. And yeah. if you, you've worked with Paul Chet, you'll know he talks about the Rainbow Bridge all the time and you've got to just slowly cross and everybody's at a different point. So finding ways to bridge that gap is really important so if you can find your local community which will become invaluable to you you know there are days where i feel so alone and i feel like nobody's thinking like i'm thinking the world has gone absolutely nuts and you just i just go on my telegram group and they're all thinking the same and they're just it just makes you feel like there's a bit more of a community so i would encourage everybody to try and start their own little community group um, and then that's when you might find out where local shops are that you can support and um, that might even do deliveries as well. All of that kind of stuff so that we don't have to keep supporting these massive industries and massive organisations that have got enough profit anyway, um, who were, are willing to destroy us. They're willing to destroy our health for what they sell in the shops and for what they now expect us to do just to get in the shop. No, completely, completely unacceptable. Yeah. And we have to vote with our purses now. Yeah, now it's kind of like you've got to be injected with poison to come in and buy some more poison. I know, exactly, I know. exactly. Double poison, buy one, get one free. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. And the whole holiday thing, you know, I'm going to be gutted if that happens. There's Me nothing too. set in stone yet. I love traveling. If I can never go to Italy again, it will break my heart. Um, but you know, it's, it's uh, my health's not for sale. My health is not for sale, and uh, whatever I have to give up, I will have to give up to keep myself and my children safe. Um, we went to the Isle of Wight last summer. It was lovely. Um, they're now talking about health passports for domestic travel as well. So unless there's somewhere that you can drive to, um, but Cornwall's lovely, Devon's lovely, you know, try, try and find ways to get around this, try and look at the positives. And I honestly do think that what we're breaking down now is a very 3D world, a very 3D way of thinking, um, a very corrupt, controlling world where everyone was just anesthetizing from life, be it alcohol or shopping or um, reality TV. We're breaking all of that down and we're slowly but surely building the new and I think the new is going to be so much nicer 
and we're going to see a, 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 a 5D world emerge. It's the age of Aquarius now, but it's, it's going to take time. So instead of focusing on the things that you're going to lose initially, think about what we're going to get, because I do think this, this is part of evolution now. Yeah, me too, massively. And I think in a way it's what we've needed, like a big shake up of things. Definitely. It was just kind of like going along doing the same stuff, making the same toxic habits, rah, rah, rah. And this is kind of, yeah, give everyone that big shove the need into being more independent. It's like you said, starting communities, being more health conscious, actually thinking about where the media is coming from and the rest of it. So, yeah, I think there is a lot of a lot of positives. We've become really disconnected as a race. We'd become massively disconnected. Um, people didn't speak to anybody anymore. Everything was texting and WhatsApp and um, people were just not spending very much time together. Or if it was time, it wasn't quality time. They'd be all sitting around watching TV, but scrolling through their phones at the same time, completely disconnected as a race. And that was never going to benefit us in the future. So it did need to change. And often what happens, what I know from my own personal experience, I changed everything in my life when I went through something really horrific. And lots of people will tell you that as well. You know, I didn't have a wake up call until I experienced experience this so this is what we're going through now um as as a race we're we're going through a massive awakening um and i think it's going to end up in it positively i really do we've got to even though it doesn't look good right now but um things often have to get worse before they get better yeah completely agree so little things that you said about airlines imagine if just one of the airlines says well we're not doing this Anyone could come on the flight. You're going to make yeah, an absolute... Jet 2 has said that. Jet 2 so far has said that they won't do the um, vaccine passports. Um, that's not something that they will be following. Um, but unless it's made into, obviously, legislation, then they will be forced to follow it. But, yeah, really and truly, um, I, d I, d I think most airlines will follow suit. Mm. we'll yeah. see we've got professor dolores carhill um has spoke about starting up her own airline um freedom airlines um where she has an investor and that's going to be um airlines that are mask free uh vaccine free health passport free whatever but again that's only going to work if it's not legislation and the company the uh, countries that you're traveling to are allowing you to enter without the right paperwork that you're supposed to have you know if it's legislation it's legislation you're not going to get around it yeah and that's the difficult part especially with the people in power um i was on the train the other day and they didn't have my mask on obviously and then i saw a sign about it and that's a double take i was like huh? it said six thousand four hundred pound fine um if you're caught not wearing one just like shots and I was thinking, yeah, where have they come up with that figure? I know, it's crazy. And I was thinking, God, Kim Jong-un is probably jealous of this, that they're actually like, getting away with it. I, I know, it's crazy. Absolutely insane. And then have you seen the figure that there's a £10,000 fine if you do not self-isolate after you come back from being abroad at the moment? A what, sorry? £10,000 fine? £10,000 fine. And then weren't they talking about a 10-year prison sentence if it's if you're coming back from a red listed country or something, Matt Hancock said. Yeah, that's that's all part of the same thing. So ten thousand pound fine, t ten years in prison. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah, it just blows my mind that how many people are still accepting at this level of authoritarianism because to me like covering your face it's like you breathe out of it's how you communicate with people like smile at people it's kind of like taking away what's human about what's you. happening is um because it's being pitched as for your benefit mm. people are just going along with it and there's no questions being asked at all. Um, it's all for your benefit. My dog is driving me mad. Hang on one second. You said uh, the dog was barking. Someone was at the door. What were you saying about <laughs> the yeah about the mass? Um, yeah, it's it's all being pitched for your benefit, obviously. Um, but one of the things that I mentioned in the Trade of Truth documentary, and there's now actually been some research about it, is the fact that um, children babies predominantly obviously are that's their first part of communication they're looking at they're basically lip reading and they can tell by your facial expressions if you are happy with them if you have a grievance if you're they're empaths and they're they're working through your facial expressions and there's what we're seeing with this new research is it is stopping their development their development is being stalled, so they're not meeting the same marks that they would normally meet at certain ages because their development is stalled because of this, this face mask that's on them. And that's just one tiny thing. Um, one of the things that I think we're also going to see going forward, um, and I think that we're not going to see this for many, for many years possibly, but again, there has been another study about late-stage lung cancer being advanced by mask wearing. Now, when you look at the uh, Dr. Otto Warburg research on cancer, and he talks about um, sugar and cancer, oxygen and cancer, he's a Nobel Prize winner. And he um, says about um, sugar being a feeder for cancer, but oxygen being a suppression for cancer, it almost suffocates the cancerous cells. So if we are covering up our faces for prolonged periods of time, stopping the amount of oxygen that we're breathing in, surely any cancerous cells are not going to have that suffocating effect. They're going to have an effect where they're being having the chance to proliferate. So is that something that we're going to see in later years where we're going to see more incidences of cancer because of this consistent mask wearing, long-term mask wearing. Who knows? And will we even know it's anything to do with the mask? Because obviously now people aren't getting cancer treatments and people aren't getting diagnosed with cancer quick enough. So therefore that we're going to see an excessive number of cancer deaths anyway, regardless. Yeah, and it just makes sense just from wearing one, like I have on a couple of occasions. It's because once I needed to go in the doctors, um, because my girlfriend's pregnant, and I was like, I didn't want the hassle. And just from wearing it for like 30 seconds a minute, I'm like, Jesus, I can barely breathe here. Some yeah. people are wearing them for eight hours a day at work, aren't they? Just yeah, and it is it is insane, and I do think that with this particular lockdown, we've had this wave, the new wave of illnesses. We've now had six months of mask wearing as well. So, um, are a lot of the people that getting ill getting ill from bacterial pneumonia and the fact that they have high levels of um, carbon dioxide in the blood? Mm -hmm. And I, I actually looked into a story because I often get sent stories where people were saying 
oh, um, this person's died of with COVID and they had no underlying medical conditions and they were only 40. And I think, okay, let me just do a little bit of research. Let's let's see the backstory here. And this particular lady was 40 and they said she didn't have any underlying medical conditions. Well, what I see with people that come to see me around that age, they often don't realise they have underlying medical conditions, but they're telling me that they feel tired, that things ache, that they've got digestive health issues, they wake up with joint pains, they get incessant headaches, so nothing's been diagnosed, but they're not healthy, they're completely out of balance. It's sometimes a lot later where things get diagnosed, where they've stopped, they've started to realise that I can't keep taking paracetamol every day for a headache. I need to know what's causing it. Oh, I can't keep relying on ibuprofen for, for sore knees. I need to know why my knees are sore. So people often don't have underlying medical conditions at that age anyway. So that was the first thing that I noticed. The other thing was um, they shared a few on this article I was reading about her. They shared a few of her sister's Facebook statuses from when she was put into hospital. And one of the statuses said that um, so her and her sister both got poorly. Um, they both got ill around Christmas and they were tested positive for COVID. They went, one of them went into hospital. The other one was fine. The sister was updating everybody about how her sister was doing hospital and she said, I'm, my sister's now doing a lot better. She has gone from 100% needing 100% oxygen to 60% oxygen, but we don't know why there's a lot of carbon dioxide in her blood. So straight away, that says to me, was this person a mask wearer? Is that why there's carbon dioxide in her blood? Is that something that we need to be considering? Um, and then three days later she the, the the person that passed away herself did a status on facebook and said um i'm really scared i'm going they're going to put me into an induced coma they don't know if i will wake up and i just thought hang on a minute you've gone from 100 percent to 60 percent oxygen you're well enough to type a facebook status to say you're going to be put into an induced coma why are they putting you into an induced coma what for what reason you're well enough to sit and type a status that's crazy that you should be well enough to say no I don't want to go into an induced coma I want to fight this myself but obviously people have so much trust in the medical profession that they know exactly what they're doing but they don't because even if this was a virus even if this was categorically proven to be a virus it would be a very new one and they would be really really difficult to treat because they don't know how it's going to act in people it's going to be all new it's learning about a, a completely new pathogen and how it run, runs rampage through the body so should we have this amount of trust in them to be saying and they admitted it in the first lockdown that the um incubation was the wrong treatment putting people on ventilators was the wrong treatment mm. which i know myself because my mum passed away eight years ago from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and when she passed away, when she was ill in hospital, I remember her respiratory nurse saying to me, we can't put her on a ventilator because her lungs are like wet paper bags. And if you start to blow air into a wet paper bag, it will just tear and rip. Mm. So, and the ventilator pushes a really forceful amount of air into the lungs. So that's why we can't put her on a ventilator. We can do oxygen, we can do CPAP, but we can't do a ventilator. So when all this first started happening, I was like, why are they putting people on ventilators? It doesn't make sense. If this is a respiratory condition and the lungs are tired, wet, inflamed, floppy, all of those things that was explained to me, 
why would you do that? It's just going to damage the lungs even more. And of course, that's what happened. So even if I was to put my hands up and say, yeah, yeah, this is a completely new virus, it's new. So we're not going to know the best way to treat it yet. Everybody's a guinea pig. So having that implicit trust in, in the medical professionals is not serving people very well right now. And, and that's what I'm seeing, you know, putting somebody on a ventilator who's well enough, whose who's oxygen needs have reduced and is well enough to be updating people on their Facebook thread about their health should not be going on a ventilator at all. Yeah, it seems very strange. I'm just going back to what you were saying. They don't list things like, I don't know, obesity as an underlying health issue or someone who drinks a shitload of alcohol which yeah. are massive things. I think you're 10 times more likely to die of the virus um, if you're obese, which is obviously very telling. Again, not an underlying health issue. Alcohol destroys your immune system, but they don't, they're not talking about that, are they? You no, know, all of those things, um, and these, these, this was my thing way back in March when I did the first video that went viral, and I was saying that if this was really a public health crisis, where is all the health information? Where still waiting is, for it. <laughs> still yeah. waiting a year on. We're still waiting. Where's all the information about the um, the eating of anti-inflammatory foods that are high in antioxidants <laughs> that reduce free radicals where's that information and we're getting this constant information about vitamin d now you know like it's some kind of life savior um yes it has been seen that vitamin d levels are lower in in covid patients so i can see that that should be something that should be being pushed or given but to then start handing it out they're talking about handing it out in care homes um what happens with vitamin D? It increases you, the level that you absorb calcium. Calcium then starts to distribute around the body. And one of the places it, it distributes is your joints. Mm -hmm. So these are elderly people. We don't know what their vitamin D levels are. They probably have weak joints anyway. And we're going to start to see issues where bones break easily because they become brittle and fragile. Um, are we going to see uh, these, a lot of people falling over and breaking hips? And, you know, what, what's going to be, we're not, never ever look at the long term of this. We never look at the full picture. It's just this sticky plaster remedy all the time. Just take that, stick that, do that. It's just crazy. Nothing's long term. Yeah, we're not looking at the root issues. And um, there was something I wanted to talk to you about, because obviously you've got a lot of friends in the science community. So the way I see it is, obviously, state, I don't know, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, whatever, kind of were in charge of religion and used that to control people, which there's two sides of that sword because they do say people were uh, raping and murdering each other a lot and they used it as a control mechanism and people became more civilised. And the other side gives rulers more power. And now we're seeing... The same thing I feel with science, where it's state-controlled. And all you've got to say is the science says this, or the, this, the doctor, the only doctor that you should listen to says this, and then everyone follows it. Is that something that your science friends have kind of noticed as well? Well, my science friends are usually the science scientists that are on the other side of the fence. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's going to be a little bit of a biased answer. But, yeah, I've compared... Um, this kind of mindset with well I'm just following the science to religion I've done it several times I think you have too um, where we've just become it's you can't question it it is what it is we don't need proof 
And religion is a belief and a belief is something you hold without evidence. So you're just told that, you know, this particular God exists and you believe it. You've never seen him. You've never met him. He's never been around to dinner. You just believe it. And it's exactly the same with this. We've just been told that this exists and we can't ask any questions. But hang on a minute. If it's impacting my life enough that I've had to take my children out of school, close my business, stay at home, cancel holidays, I want to I have some questions answered. I have every right to have some questions answered. So it's it's yeah by all means follow the science but please be aware just like with religion there's more than one science yeah. and the, the, by the by the very nature of science it's all theory it's science comes up with new theories and it it's just a theory because it until it's proven otherwise there, there's even research now that's stating that um einstein's theory about matter is actually very small minded because we haven't taken into consideration frequency and vibration and energy. Mm. So even from that, which was something that was so set in stone, one thing science isn't is set in stone ever. It's never ever. settled, is it? Of course. And any and any scientist that says that will know it is, it's proven, it's, it's, it shouldn't be in science as far as I'm concerned, because it's, it's about evolving and it's about further research and it's about looking at what's coming next. But the science, that are put, the scientists that have been put on a pedestal to follow and, and bow down to and believe and to do everything they say are the scientists that are um, pushing a narrative that's going to create a lot of income for a lot of people that are making a lot of these rules. You could just take a look, which we've, I'm sure we've spoken about before. Take a look at the conflicts of interest in the pharmaceutical companies and the government. You know, that's, that's not science that's being pushed because it's for our benefit or because it's the correct theory at that time. It's science that's being pushed because it lines the pockets of the rulers. Yeah, that's it. And it's not just, you know, thousands of pounds we're talking about, is it? We're talking at the top, highest level, like billions of pounds been taken out of uh, tax money that we've all... Some people you know, they work the first three or four months of the year free because they've got to pay how much tax and then that money's been taken straight into these private entities and making an absolute fortune, aren't they? It's unbelievably corrupt. Um, the wealthy people are, have stayed incredibly wealthy. There's been COVID profiteering happen massively. Um, you've only got to look at who got the PPE contracts and who got the track and trace contracts and Everything is about um, nepotism, who you know, backhanders. Um, it's it's been really, really corrupt. They've just been keeping their friends bankrolled while the rest of people are living hand to mouth. And you know, I, I've got a friend who is um, a beautician, and in 2019 she had four holidays to the lovely destination. She works incredibly hard. She's got some really high-profile clients. And she's had four holidays in 2019. 2020, she's eaten out food banks. So that is the stark difference, where if you go and have a look at how somebody like Jeff Bezos' income has increased during the pandemic, how can that be justified when you've got people that were willing to work their backsides off so that they could have nice things and it's all been taken away from them? Yeah, it hasn't been any fairness at all. In fact, the um, fruit and veg shop over the road from me, when the lockdown first started, they mainly sell plants and flowers. They've got a huge selection kind of outside. And they were told that to shut it all down. But then I went to Sainsbury's up the road 
and all their kind of plants and compost, everything at the front, you could buy that. So yeah, there's been massive. Um, there's absolutely no consistency at all. So um, I shared a, a, a story from our, a, my local um, community uh, at the weekend and it went crazy viral, got about a quarter of a million views, but this poor lady was sobbing her heart out because she um, runs a local soft play center. And obviously to think outside the box during this time to try and keep them from closing, make sure that they got enough income just to cover their overheads because they're not getting any help for that. Um, they decided to do um, lunchbox drive-throughs. So I think they dressed up as like Disney characters or something like that. And the kids came through in the cars and they handed them their little lunchbox. And it was nice because it was all COVID friendly and they ended up having a day out. The kids had a day out and these kids have been, you know, bless them, been like prisoners since last year. So um, they'd all been approved by the council. It was all fine. It wasn't their first one. They'd done a good few and they sell, sold tickets. And the reason they sold tickets is because they didn't just want this mass of people. They wanted to make sure that they could control it. They had enough food and they knew who was coming. Um, and Saturday, police turned up, closed it down and said, you can't do this. And they said, but why not? It's all been approved by the council. We're not doing anything wrong. Um, but you can't, you're making people come out for a non-essential journey. So she said, but there's Costa two minutes up the road and there's McDonald's, which can still do drive-throughs. Yeah, but they're for food. They've always been for food. She said, but we've always done food as well. It's just that it wasn't our sole purpose of business, but we have always been a food outlet. And if you look us up on the website, it comes up as a food outlet. And with, this has all been approved by the council, but of course, they're, they're not big businesses. It's the big businesses that they're hoping that they want to keep going and they want to support because they pay masses of corporation tax. And it's the small businesses that they want completely collapsed so that you become completely dependent on government handouts and then they can control every decision that you're making. Because if you are dependent on a basic universal income and you are not willing to take that vaccine, for example, then you're not going to get your money. Yeah, it creates a kind of yeah, it creates a kind of child parent relationship with your government, doesn't it? That's it's already been created. The minute we started obeying without question everything they wanted us to do, it's already been created. As a grown adult that's always looked after my health, especially in the last 10 years, I am quite capable of deciding whether I'm doing something that's putting my health at risk. But for some reason, a huge percentage of adults decided last year that they didn't want to make that decision for themselves. They wanted the government to make that decision. The government had to decide when they could go shopping, who they could go with, what they had to wear to go and how they could pay for that shopping as well. All of that was decided for a person, you know, as a grown adult that takes responsibility for myself, I'm quite capable of making those decisions. But people want their backsides wiped now and they're quite happy with that. You're own good, Jacqueline. You should listen. <laughs> yeah, like like you were saying about your friend and what you've said earlier, the whole it's for your own good thing. Your friend's going to food bank, so she's essentially in poverty now. So yep. how can putting someone into poverty be for their own good? Just it's like an inversion, makes no sense. Of course, of course it's not. And how is stopping inhibiting somebody breathing oxygen for their own good, stopping people from seeing their family for their own good, stopping them from getting vitamin D on their skin for their own good. None of this is about health. It's yeah. about making sure that you become really, really compliant. Um, there was, I saw a, a, 
an argument going off on Facebook last night after this Panorama interview, because somebody had posted, make sure you watch Panorama. This is why you need to get the vaccine. And the, they did rightly so get hounded saying, you know, what, who are you to tell us what we should and shouldn't do? We have the right to make an informed choice. It's our bodies. She said, just take it so we can get our lives back. Now, anybody that believes that a vaccine is going to take you back to normality has a really, really, really big shock coming their way. And I promise you, I'll be here for hugs and to pick you up off the floor and wipe away your tears when you realise that's not what's happening. Because <laughs> it's really not what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't <laughs> I mean, the shock and trauma these people are going to go through when they, they've injected their the whole family with poison and they still don't get their two weeks in Benidorm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's brutal that'd be some of the bollocks to kind of cover it up at that point, and, uh, i don't know what's going to come next but now um, another thing i wanted to talk about was a, a really good post i thought you put up and it was newspaper articles over the last few years i think they're all from around winter time because obviously um there's more kind of health incidents during the winter it was all like every year NHS on its knees, NHS on its knees, NHS. and a big part of the whole argument of locking us all in is to protect the NHS, mm -hmm. which is smart if you want to control people because it's kind of like seen as the heartbeat of the country and whatnot. And going back to what you said earlier, I'm trying to say balanced here because I've had some nurses that I've spoke to or seen they've done statuses and they've said it is worse than normal. The others are saying completely different that it's the same as normal. I have a theory as to why. So yeah, what, what are your thoughts on it? Um, so in, in the first um, lockdown, I was getting a lot of um, people come forward and share videos and things like that with me. Um, and I had this one lady who's a, pa a paramedic and she told me that what's happening is hospitals have hot and cold zones. So if you pick up somebody in the ambulance they could be for a completely non-covid reason like they've fallen over and hurt themselves an elderly lady fallen over needs to go to hospital may have broken something develops a temperature en route because that is a covid symptom they have to go to a hot zone so that might be a 95 year old lady that's just had a shock and might possibly have a broken hip but she has to go into a covid zone of the hospital what I now believe is happening is we don't just have hot and cold zones in a hospital, we have hot and cold hospitals. And the reason that we're doing that is because it is helping with the divide and conquer, because you have a whole set of paramedics and medical professionals who are saying it's never been so busy, we're rushed off our feet, there's ambulances queuing around the corner, obviously they're in the hot zones. And then you've got other ones, and I see the videos all the time that are saying, this is what's going on. It's empty. It's empty in A&E. It's empty in the wards. Look at the videos. I've never been so um, quiet. So they're obviously in the cold. And that's because then people come to loggerheads, which is exactly what they want, because if we're fighting each other, we're not going to fight them. Mm -hmm. And if there's always one side of the story that's saying, no, no, but look, it keeps their story burning. So that's my theory, because I definitely know hot and cold 
areas were happening. Now I think that's gone a little bit further to hot and cold hospitals, which is why I think that the Nightingale hospitals were never ever going to be a COVID hospital because then that would keep everybody rather sensibly in one place, locked down, that's where it is. How busy is that hospital? What's going on there? We could always keep checks on those Nightingale hospitals. But by spreading it all out, it becomes mumbo jumbo and we can't, we've got all these different stories and we don't even know what to believe. Yeah, this is what I don't get, because if it was truly, you know, completely on its knees, even worse than ever, you'd be using all those hospitals, all these people who are unemployed or going to poverty or desperate for a job, you'd be getting them into this emergency work to deal with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's just, we haven't seen any of that. We haven't seen any of that. And I think the, the post that you're referring to, the thing that I was tr trying to express to people is that at this time every year, going back probably the last five, 10 years, we've always had the NHS on its knees. And when I posted that, somebody actually put on my thread, I've been into hospital, there's people in corridors, people are queuing everywhere. Um, my daughter's never been so ill. By the way, this was 2014. So <laughs> just goes to show that this is something that's been going on for a very long time, especially this time of year. We do see excessive amounts of people, the NHS on its knees, ambulances queuing. I mean, I was just saying to somebody the other day, my daughter was at primary school a couple of years ago and somebody fell over in the playground and because the way they'd fallen and it was possibly a neck or a back injury, they couldn't be moved. They waited five hours for an ambulance and that was a nine, 10 year old child waiting on cold floor. They waited five hours for an ambulance at this time of year. Whereas I know somebody recently that called an ambulance, they were there in 20 minutes and it wasn't for a reason that was half as drastic as that. So you, you just get this anecdotal stuff that's going on. Well, this happened to me and this happened to me, but I think it's purposeful. I think it's because it adds to the divide and conquer. Um, we also have to remember that there's a hell of a lot of NHS staff self-isolating at the moment because of the testing which is a whole nother story because I'm hearing from some NHS staff that they have to be tested and it's part and parcel of the job. And if they haven't got an up-to-date negative test, they can't work. Where I'm, I'm hearing from other NHS staff, it's completely up to them and they do encourage it, but it's not entirely being enforced. So that's crazy. Um, so a lot of them are having to self-isolate. I think the last figure that I looked at that any one time, there's up to 30,000 NHS staff self-isolating. Um, so you've got this organisation with a huge amount of people that can't go to work. They've also reduced the amount of beds as well. So then you don't have the, uh, the, the, the amount of beds that we've had in previous years to help this. When we look, the, the big, big, big stake in the ground here is the uh, Office for National Statistics figures. When we look at the Office for National Statistics figures, people will say, but look at the increase from, from the last year to from 2019 to 2020. So many more people have died. Yeah, and not quite a few more have died. Absolutely. According to the um, Office for National Statistics, yeah, we are looking at a, a quite an increase. However, I don't think it's a pandemic level increase when you consider that we have stopped caring for people. We've stopped taking people in for routine procedures 
in the main most people are having treatments stopped most people are having um their cancer treatments stopped most people are having big surgeries stopped i've heard about people that were supposed to have heart valves fitted and now they've died of a heart attack because they didn't have that surgery mm. i've shared with you before i lost a friend in the first lockdown because her immune therapy drug trial was cancelled she had metastatic stage four cancer and she passed away age 40 with four children these are not isolated cases then you've got the suicides as well i personally know three people that have taken their own lives in the last year um, and that is because they have lost their jobs they've lost their income they've lost their sense of purpose they risk losing their homes one of them got a fine for ten thousand pound for um ha having a party during lockdown uh, so organizing a gathering of more than 30 people he got a ten thousand pound fine and ended up taking his own life because he felt so lost how's he how's he even going to afford this it's not even working so you know when you look at all of those factors as to why deaths may have gone up we've got all of those and a pandemic it's not enough it's it's, it's it is too much and but it's too much because of what the government have done not because of a pandemic yeah no i agree and for the virus itself the average death age is 83 which i think is very telling and not you're saying you're talking about people who've got four children, they're only 40 who are dying. Yeah. Uh, the knock-on effects. It's um, in my eyes completely different. And it's all good saying protect the elderly, but it comes to a point when you are, you know, in your 80s or 90s. Unfortunately, in the natural cycle of life, a flu or a virus or whatever is going to be much more likely to kill you, isn't it? But you've had that full life. So it's kind of like weighing it up. This is what um, Lord Sumption come under fire for talking about. So he was he was saying that, you know, the people that it's affecting are at end of life anyway. And and he, and he said, you ask any grandparent if they would give their life so that their grandchild then gets a, a, a good go at it. They would all say the same. Um, but he come under fire. His words got a little bit twisted and um, and it was all uh, all quite a bit of an attack on him but of course what we're happening is and what everyone seems to be forgetting what's happening is we are talking about um all of these measures and it was and um, used by matt hancock to save granny we need to save granny so everything that we are doing destroying economy destroying our children's education is to save the very people that have not got very much longer on this planet and by saving them we are destroying the future of the ones that have got their whole lives left to well, lead no, be backward well nobody's actually asked them if they want saving do they because i can't i can't speak for myself with this but if i'm 83 the average age like i said and i'm in a home or wherever i am and i know i haven't got long left anyway i want to spend that last year or five years whatever surrounded yeah. by my loved ones i don't want to be lonely and if I die tomorrow, well, I've lived, I've had my full life, I'm happy and my kids can enjoy theirs. Um, they're kind of been forced to be isolated and stuff, which I think it's like they're not actually asking them. Well, that's because they know what the answer would be for the majority of people. They know that they would say, give me my family for six months rather than let, allow me to live for five years. That's what they would say. If that's If that was the choice that they were given, the majority, I'm sure, would say that. 
but it, it's this emotion that has to be used to gain compliance and control. Um, and I even posted something about the, the fact that they're going to start trialing the uh, injection on children. And somebody said, well, good, because, you know, my my we need to stop these children being super spreaders and my grandma needs to be able to come out and feel safe. <laughs> That just goes to show how backward somebody's thinking is, you know, where we are, we are going to start releasing these, these toxins into children when we have no research about the long-term effects whatsoever, when children are predominantly not really affected by this at all. We've got the BMJ study um, from Wuhan with 10 million people about asymptomatic spreading was practically non-existent. And and they're still calling children super spreaders. Well, as a mother of two children, I can tell you that between certain ages, they're always quite snotty nose because that's part of building their immune system. It's what they do. And when I had a, a mum that was really, really poorly um, and she didn't have very strong immune system, if my kids weren't well, I wouldn't take them to see her. It's as simple as that. You use your common you sense. Use your common sense. <laughs> You know, this it's crazy. You I forgot what that is. Common sense. Common sense left with the be kind movement, I think. <laughs> it's going to Mars with Elon Musk. <laughs> oh, it's it has gone a bit nuts and, and you we we are also forgetting that the person that's telling us to save Granny is the same person that's putting do not resuscitate orders on the very people he's trying to save. So a little bit incongruent there, Mr. Hancock, as per yeah. usual. And now I try to be, you know, so I teach meditation and whatnot, I try to be all peaceful and calm, but that guy, it's impossible. <laughs> he just makes my skin crawl. You know, when um, you hear David Icke speak about lizard people and I'm like, mm, really, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm buying into that. But then I see Matt Hancock and I think, you know what, he could be right. <laughs> yeah. He is not anything that's known to human, no. Yeah, um, you see the video of him pretending to cry? Oh, my God. And do you know what the comparison to make with that one is? Have you seen um, Vernon Coleman speaking about all the adverse reactions where he couldn't even say he had to stop what he was filming and he was crying, sobbing in his hands? Mm -hmm. And he usually has this innate last words of wisdom in every single video and he couldn't even get it out he couldn't even say it so i always say to people who are you going to believe this guy that is fake crocodile crying on good morning britain that looks like he's about to burst out into fits of hysteria because he can't quite believe everyone's falling for his crap or this other guy that is so unbelievably choked that his years of research mean nothing because quite evidently nobody is listening who are you going to believe? And who has got more to gain here? You've got one man that's being completely vilified all the time, shot down in flames, being deplatformed, having old stuff brought up about things he said years ago. And then you've got this other man that's got all of the conflicts of interest regarding pharmaceutical companies who obviously couldn't care less about anybody or anything. When we was in lockdown, he's going out for meals and you know, there's, there's some people that can't actually afford to eat, let alone eat in the restaurants that he was eating at. Um, just unbelievable. And then the whole ordering all the food for all of his department because they worked really hard at taxpayers' expense. Yeah. <laughs> taking the pitch. Does he even get any health qualifications, does he? 
No, not at all. What, but what was his degree in? Something really random. Wasn't it? It wasn't art. It was something really random, like history or art, but it's absolutely nothing to do with health. And when people say to me, well, you know, where did you, where did you study your degree in medicine? Same place as Bill Gates and Matt Hancock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to read you the post of a stack of books you'd read just to shut people up. That was good still doesn't shut people up they're always going to have something to say I've got grown quite thick skin it was a little bit daunting this time last year when the first video went out and everybody was kind of all over the pages and had stuff to say but my tribe has grown really really lovely and um, I've got people that if somebody says something on my thread normally before I've even had a chance to respond there's another five or six people that are like hang on a minute so um it can get nasty at times that's the only thing and I, I do try and say to people you know let's just be uh, try and be have respectful debate because yeah. we're never going to change anybody's mind unless we have respectful debate but if somebody comes in all guns blazing calling you all the names under the sun you're never going to get respectful debate from people like that so it's a block straight away from me yeah. um but yeah i've got um i've i've got a page set up on instagram about me and uh eddie gray there's like one person that just continually attacks every single one of our posts which i find quite amusing because if, if that's all you've got to do with your life then I, I wish you well um and yeah there's there's a there's a lot of hate it's always going to be the way when you're speaking about something that triggers the shit out of people and that's what it comes down to yeah there's a saying i can't remember exactly but something like people always throw rocks at the most luscious trees to get the fruit yeah maybe that's it <laughs> <laughs> now i don't know about you but i've found from my experience because I, I don't post as much of you i haven't got the same following but i've been doing my bits and bobs i found that the last two or three months people do seem to be more open to have a friendly debate and just cut all the bullshit with the name calling and all that unnecessary stuff and actually just talk to each other respectfully and debate which has been refreshing yeah there has been a little bit more of that absolutely um yeah i would say there's definitely been more of that it's been it's been nicer but again it's hard for me because i feel like on my pages they have become a bit of an echo chamber where i'm preaching to converted but i'm still continuing to post because my posts get shared so much you don't know who they're being shared with that then might plant some more seeds so uh, and I do get messages like that all the time somebody shared my post your post with me and now I am looking into vaccines now I am questioning the narrative so it's about planting those seeds that's that's all that we can do not telling people what they should and shouldn't be thinking just telling people that it's wise to start looking at alternative viewpoints and not being completely uh, tunnel vision with the things that we are taught even from back in school you know question everything my, my youngest the school was never going to suit her because she was always questioning everything she questioned that a man walked on the moon she questioned about dinosaurs ever roaming the planet she'd done all of this in her classes her teacher just not she wasn't the favorite person in the class i'm sure uh, but she's got a really inquisitive mind and i never want her to lose that because that is an absolute gift. If we are just a yes sir, no sir person, then we're going to be really easy to mould and manipulate. Um, and that's what I'm seeing now out there in the big wide world. We've got all these people that have become so easy to, they're so malleable. Yeah, it's, you can become ignorant, can't you? Like myself, 
things that I believed even like a year ago or things I've said now I look at and I like cringe I'm like oh I don't feel like oh, same. Completely. kind of like question yourself to grow yeah yeah well it's it, the, that's evolution for yourself and the only person that you could be competing with is the person that you were yesterday and just keep growing and evolving and, and broadening your your thought process but uh, yeah absolutely there's things that I did in my um, teens and 20s and even 30s that I wouldn't I wouldn't do now and think about doing now and I still get judged on now people will say well um, if you people that have known me for years oh if, if if you've if you've been that kind of person then why should we pay any attention to you now well you know everybody grows and evolves and you have to give them the benefit of doubt let's hope matt hancock does at some point (laughs) yeah we're waiting a long time for that yeah yeah well maybe once he's got his check yeah we'll see we'll see just a couple of um other little things before we finish Uh, something that was in the news constantly about Two or three weeks ago, I think, was this 100,000 figure. 100,000 people have uh, passed from COVID now. And this, to me, is like an obvious lie because of the things we've talked about, the 28 days after, back in the spring and summer last year. It didn't even have to be 28 days, just if you'd had a positive test. Mm-hmm. And the test kit that's faulty and you got hit by a bus or whatever, then you went down as a COVID death. So what do you think about that, the whole... Um, it was really interesting to see that they actually made it into the mainstream, the figure of 388, um, which was 388 people um, under the age of 65 died in 2020 with COVID without any underlying medical conditions. Now, they're the people that we really closed down the world for, mm-hmm. uh, well, the country for, because obviously the death toll is going to be different in other countries, but for, for our country, 388 people. Now, while every single one of those deaths is sad and possibly unnecessary as well, it's not the figure that I would expect to see for people that have gone, have, have, have lost businesses, have lost loved ones through suicide, have lost loved ones through lack of treatment, um, have been unable to see family, you know, 388 people you know that's that's a really really tragic and sad plane crash we don't close down the world for that so that's the figure that that i always try and reiterate to people is yeah that i'm not saying that an 82 year old dying is not tragic or sad but it's also not going to be covid is going to be the only reason for that these people are weak, they're vulnerable, they have weakened immune systems, they're polypharma users. How much longer would they have on this plane even without COVID? We don't know that. So when you start to go up the age limit and you start to look at the under 65s with no underlying medical conditions and you get the 388 figure for an entire year, that's startling to me. Yeah, and that 388 figure someone said that every year i think it's about 300 people die from drowning so i've just been making the joke to people like are we going to ban baths next is that what it's yeah. going to be like <laughs> well I, I think ellie gray said once um at a um rally that I, I did with her and she spoke before me that you was st- at that point in time which was august last year you were statistically more likely to die um at, at, at our age um, of your wardrobe falling over and hitting you than um, of COVID. <laughs> Crazy. 
<laughs> I mean, it's just like putting things into perspective because 388 on its own it can sound kind of scary oh 388 people have died and you put it next to things like yeah wardrobes falling on you and drowning it just you can see how small it is because obviously our population is what 65 million in, in the uk or whatever but we we can't put things into perspective anymore really easily because of the fear that's been driven into us and the way that we have this constant rolling death toll but we're not getting any recovery tolls the way that we have this hospital admissions toll but we're not getting any hospital discharge toll everything is always that weaponized psychology to keep you in that place of fear so you ask someone to just think a little bit rationally about it and they physically can't because their frontal cortex has been paralyzed by the psychology that's being used on them yeah imagine if you turned on the news one day and they just like put their arms in the air and they're like 99 of people have survived the virus <laughs> exactly it's exactly i wonder how many people would take off their masks i know yeah because, right. the, you know, the majority of the mask wearers are the ones that are getting their information from the mainstream media. Mm. Yeah. I haven't yeah. told you, I, I, uh, I had the virus, by the way, or apparently so. I, had to, I, know, I got a bit of stick for this because I had a test and people were saying you're adding to the numbers, but I had to do my own research as I'm part of this kind of thing. So I thought I'd have it, just intrigued. Um but yeah, I had a bad headache the first night. I had a paracetamol and it went. I don't normally take pharma, but it was quite a bad headache. I'd cut and hold, uh, hot and cold sweats a little bit uh, for two days. And I was just tired, really. So I've had much worse colds and flus. But I was kind of glad I had it if I did have it just to experience it. Because in my head, I was always thinking, well, it can't be that bad. It really does depend on the inner ecosystem, how bad you're going to experience stuff, like with any pathogen, you know, you're, that's why we're seeing so many people that are older, that are either having the longer COVID, which by the way, is just post viral fatigue, or not just because post viral fatigue is a very real thing, and it can whack you out, but it's not a new thing. It's not we're not it's not a new covid label. Um, so that the older that you are, often, more often than not the more toxic that you are so obviously it stands to reason that your body's trying to detox something when you're already toxic it's going to become overwhelmed and you're going to get quite a lot of effects from that so the reason that you didn't suffer so badly is because you have a great inner ecosystem which is why i always say to people i have utter faith in my immune system even though i've had an autoimmune condition even though i um i carry a hereditary disease called hemochromatosis all of that i know i do my absolute best to look after myself and keep myself well i'm really really sure that i could overcome something like this so i'm willing to just open up the doors of everything and crack on with life so that we if, if there is something out there we create a herd immunity to it a natural herd immunity to it and if other people feel really frightened stay at home and protect yourself if you feel you need to but the rest of us allow us to just go back to normal. But that's, the chances of that happening is not going to happen. That's it, isn't it? It's like the whole argument, if it was just about protecting the elderly, then you're just lacking the elderly. Lacking in all the healthy people is tyrannical, isn't it? It's like when I had it, I was never scared. It's like, well, I'm young. I eat well. I eat loads of fruit and vegetables. I barely drink. So it's like, what, why would I be scared? Yeah, and, and, and this this is the thing, it's that it's the fear that has got into people that don't do that. 
that yeah. you know well well i i've i've already got this condition so it's really going to affect me badly and then what about my mum she's old and what about my dad he's got cancer and it's it's just that constant living in that space of fear which is the wor- single worst thing for your immune system the way that cortisol affects your body uh, will suppress your immune system so no wonder why we're seeing so many people affected so badly from a virus whatever that virus may be yeah and again that might be a positive because i think people are looking at their own inner health more now aren't they i've never been more busy so uh, it's it's been it's been insane and i, I was saying to somebody yesterday i do believe it's because people can't get treatment where they would normally get treatment and they're really concerned about leaving their health the way it is because of what is being fed to them in terms of information so they are they're making it a priority like never before you know i'm now booking into may june so that's not happened before in any of my clinics so that's that's incredible it's actually served a purpose because i've been telling people for very many years to be proactive and not reactive about your health to make sure that you're doing something before you get a diagnosis not after um and now people are actually doing that for the first time ever people more people are doing that more people are taking their health into their own hands so it's it's this is the positives that we need to be focusing on and because there are positives in this situation. Yes, it is like looking for a needle in a haystack at times, but it's part of this evolution. Things have to get worse before they get better, but they are going to get better. And what we're going to end up with is a much more awakened society that's far more disconnected to people. Nice. Very nice. Positive message. And just while we're on the topic, do you want to talk about what services you offer? Have you got any openings at the moment or anything like that? Um, so I run two clinics. I run a clinic at home in um, Essex and then I run a clinic in Liverpool um, just because I've got quite a lot of clients in the north and people were traveling to see me and it was becoming crazy. So, um, yeah, I run the two clinics and um, the predominantly are um, nutrition, holistic health coaching. I use bioresonance therapy as well, which is um, a machine that scans the body and looks at frequencies and vibrations. It can pick up the activity of pathogens as well so for example i might have somebody coming in with a lot of digestive health issues and when we put them on the bioresonance machine they might have been told they've got ibs we'll put them on the bioresonance machine and i can see that that ibs is actually linked to the fact that they have an overactive e coli or helicobacter pylori or some parasites and then we can get really specific about what we're treating so it takes out a lot of the guesswork um, when i work with somebody we always do a really extensive consultation where I'll go all the way back to birth, childhood, childhood illnesses, emotional traumas, because as you know, working with somebody holistically, it's a whole massive jigsaw puzzle um, and everything makes up a part of who we are, our biological blueprint. And just because somebody comes in with one set of symptoms and the next person comes in with an identical set of symptoms might be completely different issues that are driving it. Um, speaking to somebody this week actually who's working with my husband James who is personal trainer and um, working really hard training really hard eating really well but not losing the weight that they were expecting to lose after a certain amount of weeks so I was saying to James you know what's her sleep like Um, how stressed is she does she have any stress management techniques because there's no point in concentrating all on the physical when you are not looking at the mental and emotional and spiritual side as well, because that plays such a huge part 
of whether or not our body is going to be in a good place to get the results you want physically. So if you're in a state of stress, then your immune system is suppressed, your appetite is suppressed, uh, your metabolism is suppressed, everything is suppressed, and you're not going to get the results. People forget about that. People forget that you need to look at mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and holistically, that's what we both do, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, kind of eating healthy and um, keeping fit and all that kind of stuff has been quite big for a while, hasn't it? But it's only now you see more so people looking down the emotional route and other little things like, yeah, stress management, walking in nature, meditating, all that kind of stuff seems to be coming to the forefront now. I think chronic disease, not so much acute, but chronic disease, generally you can trace it back to an emotional trigger so yeah that's nine out of ten times you're tracing it back to an emotional trigger and then you they just lose they just lose a handle on 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 homeostasis and health but it's generally the emotional trigger and you wouldn't believe how many people when you say to them oh so that's what triggered it they have never ever linked it they're like oh my god i never thought of that but it's so obvious to you and i because we know how the body responds to trauma um but to them it's just it's not linked at all until you unpick it with them and then you realize that there's some inner healing to do on the emotional side as well as on the physical everything has to be done together in the right order and that's why it's worth working with a coach yeah definitely it's interesting isn't it i think i read about it It was pete uh poor check he worked with johnny wilkinson he didn't name him but he said a top top rugby star that always got injured and I'm pretty sure it was him and he said that they did some really deep work and they found that he was purposely in the subconscious getting injured because he couldn't handle all the pressure from the country to perform so it just shows like yeah subconscious what you can kind of unlock and I don't think that would have come out in the first session. No, so, no, call, I'm sure. no, that's the thing. You need to really do some digging to get to the point, the kind of pain point, you know, what's the trigger here? And that's what's missed when you work with just a nutritionist or this is why I've got this whole toolkit of uh, modalities. You know, I'm currently learning homeopathy. I've got the bioresonance machine, nutrition, hypnotherapy, all of it, because Somebody might be coming to me thinking that they need one thing, but when I actually start speaking to them and I'm picking their functional medicine timeline, it's like, that's not actually what they need at all. So you, you do need that whole toolkit. Yeah, big respect to you. Obviously, you know, you've got a big passion for healing people and all the amazing work you're doing on social media. It takes a lot of guts. Um, so yeah, thank you thank ever so you. much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me back on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah I think we've kind of, covered everything quite well there unless there's anything else you want to talk about i'm good i'm good wicked cool so yeah thanks again and all the best for your work no worries thank you